welcome to another edition of So Important. And we have a very interesting guest with us today. His name is Michael Tanner. He is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute in Washington, D.C., and he has studied and worked on and written about domestic issues for a very long time. We're going to talk a little bit about what he does, and then we're also going to focus on his new book, which focuses on innovative approaches to addressing poverty. Is that a fair description, Michael? It is, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm looking forward to this broadcast. Well, welcome to the broadcast, and why don't we start by you uh, saying a few words about yourself. Sure. Well, I've been in Washington for a long time. I'm your basic D.C. wonk. Uh, I've been studying public policy for many years, and, uh, and I generally work on the domestic side of issues, so I deal with issues like budgeting and health care. But recently, my interest has turned uh, primarily to poverty issues and how we can deal with people who have been left behind in, in our current economy and who still suffer, I think, from some of the, uh, the after effects of the structural problems that we've had in this country for a great many years. You have a bit of an innovative or a little bit of a different approach in your thinking about this. You don't come from the left or right. You really come from trying to create new ideas and new ways of thinking about some of these issues. That's right. Uh, I'm basically, I'm a libertarian, which means I don't fit neatly on the left-right spectrum. Basically, I try to look at this not as a conservative issue or a liberal issue, but as a what works issue. And uh, I've based my research heavily on the data and the experience that we have in the, on these issues, which is very hard because as most human services issues, uh, there's not a lot of real hardcore evidence. I mean, you can't do the sort of double-blind studies that exist in science uh, when you're dealing with people. Uh, you don't have a lot of natural experiments. So essentially what you're dealing with a lot of correlation issues and just trying to pick out uh, the, the evidence that, that works best. What drove you to this particular topic? Well, I'm a libertarian because I basically believe in the equal value and equal worth of every human being and that no human being should ever have control over another, or at least there should be a very high bar before we allow one person to take control of another. And the only way that that can be really effective, the, the, I mean, the causation of that is about human flourishing. The whole idea, the reason why I, we want to give people maximum liberty, maximum freedom, is so that they can flourish as human beings. But if you're trapped and mired in poverty, if you don't have control over your life, if you're dependent, then you're not going to have that sort of flourishing that I think every person is entitled to by the value that they have as a human being. Now, this issue of poverty is something that's interested you and you've worked on for quite a few years. It is. And over that time, I think there's been something of a journey for me, at least in terms of my views. When I started writing about this 20, 25 years ago, I had much more conventional views that probably lined up a little more on the conservative side. It was much more an idea that people uh, were responsible for their own conditions and their own situations in life. Uh, that was called the success sequence by many uh, social commentators, where the idea was that if you finish school, you get a job, you don't have children unless you're married, that those things were the primary influences of why people were in poverty. That was probably my conventional view 20 years ago. But over the last decades, as I've looked more into the research, I've really come to the conclusion that that's not really the answer, that there are much more uh, structural problems in our society that deal with race and gender and economic dislocation. 
And you really have to take those into account that simply telling the poor to pull themselves up by their bootstraps isn't sufficient. This has led you to write a new book. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What is, what's it called? When is it going to be out? And what are you going to try to get at there solution-wise? The book is called The Inclusive Economy, How to Bring Wealth to America's Poor. And it'll be out uh, this fall, probably actually think December is the official publication date, but it'll likely be out uh, before that. And in this, I look at the traditional arguments on both left and right about why people are poor. I mean, the idea is you wouldn't try to diagnose an illness unless you understood the underlying disease. You wouldn't just patch a Band-Aid on and say goodbye. So I try to understand why people are poor. And I look at the conservative arguments, which has basically been this, this talk about the success sequence, the idea that the poor, it's individual choices, it's a, it's a culture of poverty that affect poor locations, poor locales in this country. And I looked at the, uh, the liberal idea that basically you have to deal with structures of society. There's structural poverty in society. And, and I came to the conclusion that to a large degree, I think that uh, conservatives have missed the point. Uh, it's true. You can't deny poor people agency. You can't pretend that they are simply chaff blown by the wind, that have no choice in their lives, that can't take control of their lives. That, I think, demeans them and, and undervalues them as human beings. But on the other hand, you also have to take into account the circumstances in which the poor live. And if you live in a society that undervalues women, that has systemic racism, in which the economy uh, is changing rapidly and is constantly upending uh, certain levels of skill levels of jobs, people are going to make decisions based on those circumstances, that you can't look at, say, Sandtown in Baltimore or Owsley, Kentucky, the poorest county in America, and say, why didn't people behave the same way they do in Chevy Chase, Maryland, uh, or the suburbs of Beverly Hills? Obviously, people are going to behave differently. So if you look at that, then you can start taking uh, a greater attention to what actually can change the circumstances in which those people live, and how can we create a set of an, an environment, if you will, under which their decisions will be different and in which their outcomes are more likely to be positive. So you've described how it's different from traditional conservative orthodoxy. How would you say your approach is different from what might be considered traditional liberal orthodoxy? I think too much of traditional liberal orthodoxy has been concerned with how much money we spend and how many programs we have. Uh, and it sort of papers over the real problems by saying, let's just spend another billion dollars on program X, or let's create a program Y that does something. What I actually found from my research is that too often what needs to happen is to stop doing things that actually hurt the poor. So for example, we have a criminal justice system that locks many poor people into poverty, particularly in the inner city, because of the way that it treats minorities and poor people. Uh, we need to correct things like the criminal justice system. We have an education system that fails. We have housing laws, zoning and land use laws that make it very expensive for people to rent in many areas of the country. In fact, almost impossible for poor people to move into many cities. These are things that government is doing that make things worse for the poor. Before we start arguing about whether we should raise food stamp spending by a billion dollars or cut food stamp spending by a billion dollars, maybe we should stop doing things that make people poor. Who do you see as the constituency for these ideas? Because we can be a bit divided in this country right now, and people want the left solution and the right solution, and you're talking about something that's a little bit different in how we think about these things. 
Yeah, my hope actually is that this book provides a, a cross ideological and a cross partisan platform for discussion. That if we can get people on the left and right to sit down and actually talk about these issues without retreating to their partisan corners, we can have a much more constructive dialogue. And as you say, too much of the problem today is that everyone retreats to red team, blue team. And, you know, we hear people talk about, well, you know, if, if Republicans are for it, I'm against it. Or if it makes liberals cry, then I think it's a great idea. I mean, there's just too much of this antipathy uh, and antagonistic uh, political attitude and not enough search for real solutions. And there's real people out there that are suffering today. Uh, there's real people that need help. And, uh, you know, it's time we actually got off our high horse and started to actually try to do something about it. You're in a great position because you are really focused on policy and you're trying to unleash all the shackles and say, here's, here's what we need to be thinking about from a policy perspective. Yeah, I don't belong to any political party, so I think that I can actually reach out. I've actually been able to have uh, people from the left and right read early copies of this book and endorse it. Uh, it's been endorsed by Andy Stern, former head of the Service Employees International Union, uh, by scholars at the Brookings Institute, and by people on, on the right uh, as well who have uh, looked at this and said that they see merit in it. If we can get them talking, then maybe we can actually do something in this godforsaken town. Do you think we can ever get to a point where people are really working together and, and really trying to solve these problems, thinking along the lines that you are, or even if they have a different philosophy, but still sure. really making an honest effort to come up with solutions. It's very hard in this town because of the 24-hour news cycle and partisan gerrymandering and all sorts of things that go into making it very hard for Congress to get out of just butting heads and just fighting all the, all the time. Uh, yet it wasn't always this way. When I came to Washington, there was much more uh, bipartisan work that, that could be done, and you could talk to people in both parties very easily. Now, I have ideas in this book that I hope that liberals will embrace uh, and ideas that conservatives will embrace, and maybe ideas that they hadn't thought of before that they'll be willing to cross the aisle and embrace even though it's not naturally part of their side. What would be perhaps the two or three key ideas that you really want to convey that this is what we need to be thinking about doing? Well, I think the overarching idea is that we need to change the environment in which poor people live and that much of that environment comes from above and, and, and it's forced down essentially by government policy. And therefore, we need to change government policy towards things like law enforcement. The idea that if you're a young minority man in the city, you are not going to be treated fairly by the criminal justice system. Once you get arrested for things that, let's face it, young white men in the city or in the suburbs don't get arrested for, if you're caught with a joint in the, in the wrong place and so on, uh, you're going to have a criminal record that makes it very difficult for you to ever become, get a job or support a family. That has all sorts of consequences in terms of women uh, who, you know, who can't find marriageable men. William Julius Wilson's work at Harvard on this is extensive. That if you're a poor woman in the inner city, you can't find a man to marry is why it leads to large numbers of, of non-marital births to create all sorts of additional problems. That's an area where we need to step in and fix the criminal justice system. We need to look at our education system. If you can't graduate from high school, you're not going to be able to find a job anymore. It used to be an age where you could drop out of school, go down to the factory, get a job and support your family. That's not true in today's modern age. So we've got to find a way to reform our education system. That means giving parents more control more choice in, in education. 
we need to look at occupational licensing laws and occupational zoning laws that prevent poor people from starting businesses and getting a start. You know, today, almost uh, about 40 percent of jobs require you to get a license from the state in order to do it. And these often require enormous educational expenses, testing and long months of study to become something like a hair braider or a, uh, a beautician or things like that that are relatively easy for poor people with few skills and education to start up. Uh, we're blocking them from getting their first job. Uh, we need to look at those type of, of barriers to, to entrepreneurship. I just want to thank you uh, for caring about this topic and for taking such an innovative approach. And I hope that you will be an example for others and people will start to think of these things the way that you are thinking about these things. I think if we care more about the poor than we do about our partisan orientation, there's hope. I think this is a great conversation. I hope people really listen to it, and I wish you all the success with your book. Thank you, and it's all about conversation, and thank you for doing this podcast. Absolutely. Good to talk to you. Absolutely. Absolutely, indeed. We don't talk politics on this show, but we sure can talk policy when we have a chance to speak with someone like Michael, who is doing his part to help unify the dialogue, bring us together a little bit, and how we think about some of the difficult problems that we face today. That's a good opportunity. So thank you, Michael. Thank you, listeners. For those who came to hear Michael, hope you'll stay with the show. We do lots of interesting interviews with lots of interesting people. A lot more to come. Hope you'll be with us. Thank you. See you soon.